second episode of Street Smart Business. I'm here with Cliff D. Payne, um, Decisive Aim out of Bellevue, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing today, Cliff? Good, good. Thanks so much for having me. Well, hey, I don't know. I didn't know you until about two weeks ago. Um, right. Did a little research and stuff, but can you tell me who is Cliff Payne? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, thank you for having me. Um, so we've, my wife, son, and I lived in Bellevue now for three years. Uh, we moved from East Tennessee, where we had resided uh, for almost five. Uh, absolutely loved uh, East Tennessee, provided a lot of... Uh, things for us to do, you know, as a family and really align sure, sure. with my passions. And uh, so we moved here in Ohio uh, again three years ago to be closer to family and uh, spent uh, some time working for a organization, national organization, uh, one of the plants are in Bellevue and uh, transitioned from that uh, organization in May. And, uh, of 2020. Of 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, took some time and really thought about what is this kind of next direction that uh, we want to go in as a family. We'd considered moving to Texas uh, for a uh, Fortune 5 uh, company, sure, sure. taking over a few of the plants in the uh, southwest U.S. Uh, ultimately decided to stay, and that was primarily driven on uh, really the uh, just kind of volatile nature of which our country has been in for, you know, for about almost a year. And uh, so we decided to uh, stay local, and um, ultimately Decisive Aim started as a result of, uh, one, just the excess time, you know, that I had, um, but really evolved as a, you know, I perceived a growing need of, you know, Americans who are taking their own personal defense and preparedness, sure. you know, as not just a passion, but as a true way of life. And, uh, you know, we saw a need and wanted to fill that need. Got you. So... Like what, what gave you the interest to be in that self-defense, self-preservation uh, space? Yeah. Where does that come from? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's more than just an interest to me. I think it's inherently who I am. Mm -hmm. um, it has always been a part of me to be able to uh, be independent, to operate on my own, operate with very limited uh, you know, outer support. Um, so as an example, uh, one of the things I really enjoyed uh, growing up was uh, packing up a little bag. And so I'm saying eight years old and going out into my grandparents' woods for the weekend, the entire weekend, you know, oh, gotcha. so about cool. 48 hours. And, you know, as I kind of grew, I realized that, you know, this is a particular skill set that not everyone else around me has. I uh, remember being on a camping trip with some friends um, and I was probably 10 and uh, we were in Hocking Hills and, uh, we got lost and easy to uh, do down there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we were probably lost, uh, for a good four hours. And, uh, ultimately I said, Hey, I remember that you flow with the water in the river and let's flow with the, uh, the direction. And, uh, you know, so we stepped down and we eventually found a main road and we made our way back. But, you know, the respective ages were seven, nine and 10. And I always reflect on that, just having the ability and the skill set to right. get myself out of a situation. So, um, you know, I would say, again, filling the need, uh, but more so than an interest, it's truly a passion and a way of life. Now, how many seven, nine, and 10-year-olds today do you think could uh, go yeah. down and drop them in the middle of Hocking Hills and they sure. could find their way out? Yeah, uh, so probably none, right? Uh, as long as there was uh, cell phone reception, it would be kind of easy to uh, extract them out wherever they were. But uh, yeah, I, I would say none. And you know, I think that shift overall really is indicative to the general direction of the country. You know, having such an extreme dependency on uh, others for their own safety, others for their own well-being, but even more concerning others for their own sense of direction and purpose, value even. 
Um, yeah, so that's that's an interesting question for sure. Well, um, the thing that's kind of crazy to me, when you and I think you nailed it on the last point, their sense of direction. You know, now it seems like if you're under the age of 18, for sure, maybe up to as high as 22 and less, they're looking to social media, to the to the group think. Sure. To what that, whoever that secret cabal of people is out there that, that says, yeah, that's cool, that's awesome, or no, you suck and you're bad. Right. It's like they're driven by that. And every decision they make is based on the, the immediate feedback they get in that superficial space. Right. So... To have something, I don't know, now do you guys do some stuff for the younger kids or the people, you know, I'd say again, that 18 and younger right. space? Yeah, we, we absolutely do. You know, so even in my own inner circle, the youth, you know, my son, his friends, uh, the neighbor kids, uh, we provide training and it, um, really curtail some of the training experiences, you know, dependent upon the, the age and really what we're trying to, to get to with the summer. We focused a, a lot of time on emergency um, bleeding response, you know, mm -hmm. with our uh, little community of uh, younger uh, kids, um, as well as a buddy carry, you know, in the event that, uh, you know, someone was hurt, you're playing outside, how do you get them to safety? What does safety actually mean? Is it a place, a location, a specific response? Um, yeah, so we spend a ton of time with youth and, and really evolving from there, uh, introducing uh, personal defense, self-defense, uh, weapons training for youths, 15, 16, 17. Um, you know, that's interesting. I was asked this weekend, hey, I have a son who is going to join the Marines, and I really don't want the first time that he's ever had a M4 in his hands to be in qualification. Join the Marines, has yeah. never shot a gun. Never shot a rifle. Yeah. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, you know, so the concern was, hey, he's 17, you know, but I can't get him into training anywhere. Uh, so we we fill that, uh, that space and that need. Um, for us, we mitigate risk and liability, you know, through proper training, safety orientation, very specific standards, operating procedures. Um, and we're, uh, as a training organization, incredibly hands-on. You know, we're there from the beginning, middle, and the end of the entire process to include live fire exercises, et cetera. So uh, we do provide specific training for those that maybe fall outside of the, uh, the general norms. Right. Um, but back to your point that uh, this self-gratification that we're getting, lending itself to, hey, this is who I am as an identity based upon right. maybe number of likes. So I just want to comment on that. It's, it's interesting because... When I evaluate the culture as a whole and this self-worth, you know, what I try to express through decisive aim is your self-worth is your ability to provide for yourself, to defend yourself, and to protect others around you. When you have this sense of, you know, I'm a provider, I'm a protector, this is who I am, that's changes part everything. of my identity, it changes everything. Yep. And you become less dependent then upon this um, immediate need to have feedback or the number of likes or just even the number of people who may be following you. Uh, what's truly important then at that moment is as you step out, you know, of your home or into an environment every day, who are the people following you then? That's really when, <laughs> right. when it matters. That. When it really matters. Yeah. And, and, and that's a great way of measuring self-worth in lieu of uh, just a number of likes. Sure. Yeah. Now, where did all your knowledge that you're sharing with everybody, where did it come from? Yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's a really great question. So 
I, I guess unpacking a little more about me, you know, I am a constitutionalist is how I would Preach on, brother. There's two of yeah, us here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I truly believe that the Constitution was created, drafted, and influenced by the Holy Spirit. So that's my personal mm-hmm. conviction. Yep. And, and in that, I would say, you know, I have always felt this sense of duty, a duty for others, duty for our country. Um you know, carrying the baton or the torch of those that, that kind of came before us. So with a little bit of pretext there, uh, for me, it's always been about how can I live out a passion and do so um, really independently. So for me, being outdoors is a passion. Firearms are passions. Um, stalking, evading, all of those kinds of things, maybe as weird and socially unaccepted as they sound, I really enjoy those. You know, there's right, five stages. Right five stages of uh, alertness and 90% of the day we operate in the first stage, which is completely unaware. Yeah, in our so, own little bubble. Yeah, in our own little bubble. So as an example, so uh, next time you're at Walmart, for instance, before you dismount out of your vehicle, just sit there for a moment and watch everyone walking out of Walmart. Nine times out of 10, you're going to see someone with a phone in their face walking to their vehicle. So that's a perfect example of us living 90% of our days in the unaware phase. So getting back to your specific question, for me, uh, the skill has been garnered through a very early onset of need and necessity, you know, so, Growing up in Florida till I was about 10, you know, I was really left to my own devices, you know, as a child. So folks, my folks would put me outside and, hey, that's where you stayed until they they came looking for you in the evening, right? Right. Uh, So really, it was almost like this uh, spirit of independence was kind of growing out of a need and necessity uh, and really turned into what I would say is a passion, you know, just being outside. I absolutely love that. Uh, My grandfather is a huge influence of uh, being independent, being a person who can completely self-sustain and provide for themselves. Uh, obviously, with the uh, example we gave with the running water, I mean, I think I learned that uh, directional key, uh, being able to identify your, your place on a particular piece of terrain and how to get out of that terrain, uh, probably when I was five or six years old. Right. Um, you know, and that just really evolved from, you know, different participation with Boy Scouts, you know, definitely influential, uh, having some male role models in my life growing up um, that really uh, forced me to understand my own abilities, particularly tracking, you know, through woods and things like that. The military, of course, had a huge uh, impact. So you're on, a vet? Uh, I am a veteran. Okay, Absolutely. thank you so much for your yeah, service. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, so those experiences, formal training, um, you know, that's all been a part of it. But I would say the uh, passion for continued training, I'm always evaluating other people who have uh, a specific niche that they fill in this uh, segment here, um, particularly with preparedness and training. And I'm always trying to learn, you know, from other people. Uh, and the other element of that is how do you develop all of these skill sets and, you know, um, have this uh, level of knowledge is you actually have to go out and apply it. You know, it has to be applicable. It has to be exercised constantly mm-hmm. with any skill set. You know, it is perishable, so you need to constantly test it, refine it, right. evaluate, then improve from there. Uh, so we do go hiking a lot as a family. We do several uh, day trips where we're out, pick an unidentified location, and that's where we spend our time. Uh, attempting, you know, to be completely undetected. And uh, and then I do a lot of hiking on my own, a lot of camping, outdoor camping, uh, kind of 
put everything you want on your back and then hike up the side of a mountain and spend some time there. So great reflection, but it's also a great way for me to uh, kind of refine and test those skill sets. Well, I, I've noticed uh, in my own life for sure is that with all the noise out here today, mm. you know, it's tough to find that still quiet moment right. where you can get right with yourself. Right. You know, and, and I can notice, you know, as to, we just got back, we was lucky enough to take a vacation for a little bit. And it was weird. If it only took a few days till all the the old ideas and creativity mm. were maxed back out again, where it was right. nonstop firing faster than I could write stuff down. And and before we had left, it was back to just being blunted, or, or, right. or it was dull, or it was running in the background, and there was so much in the front that you right. couldn't get back to get it. Right. Um, so I, I definitely, definitely see the value in in, in taking that, for example. Um, one thing I want to ask about, because we are on Street Smart Business Podcast, right. is, um, so you are a business person as Absolutely. well. Is this the first business you've owned on your, I mean, where it's, you're the guy? No, no. So that's actually a great, great question. Uh, the first business I ever owned, I was 17 years old. Okay. So I had started uh, very early on being an entrepreneur. Um, so I had actually was living uh, on my own at 16 and a half. And, okay. Uh, I was working full-time, uh, 50 hours a week at a uh, factory, and um, saw a particular need uh, with regard to poultry, and um, so I had started a rabbitry. So 17 years old, owned a rabbitry, uh, 3,000 head, white New Zealand, uh, <laughs> and uh, did that That for... is a lot of rabbits. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, 3,000? So, yeah, so it's kind of funny when I, I share there with folks, they're like, okay, not so much surprised with, you know, having a business at 17, but definitely surprised with meat rabbits, like what was that about? Well, so, you said it tied to poultry, now I, I'm not getting yeah, the connection. Yeah, it was the uh, geographic uh, area, so I had identified a gentleman who had an old poultry barn, an old chicken barn right so your single stack double aisle and um you know so the cages were easy to retrofit and sure. you know, so i had a space and i'm like okay yeah let's let's do this so uh yeah so 17 had owned uh, my own rabbitry did you quit the factory when you did that no no i was so doing both side hustle yeah, and yeah yeah so i was uh getting off of work at uh, 2 a.m and uh going to the rabbitry taking care of pulling the dead doing my assessments heats and all those kinds of things right. so about 6 a.m and then would go to so uh, what did you do with the rabbits when you were yeah what, so what, they, what was they the were end all, goal there yeah all, all produced for me yeah. yep so you know they were all sell uh live and uh, we had distribution established um in Fort Wayne, Indiana, New York, uh, Lexington, Kentucky. So, this is from Florida. Uh, no, this was actually from Ohio. So oh, from Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So moved from Florida when I was 10 up to Ohio. So gotcha. until prior to going to active duty. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, yeah. So on street smarts, right. So we'll bring this full, full circle here. Mm. So I had, uh, when I'd gotten off active duty, I was recruited by GE aviation, um, picked up through their leader sure. development program. Defense aviation was a segment that I knew I wanted to go to. Um, I had already established connections, uh, within the space, but, um, you know, for me, evaluating expectation management, having a good understanding of what an organization was already like uh, was very important to me. So I kind of consider that me gaining and garnering my, uh, um, you know, intelligence with the organization. Sure. Uh, so I had stepped into that space, uh, supported them for several years prior to moving to East Tennessee. And then East Tennessee, I'd managed a uh, large manufacturing uh, multi-site uh, organization, helped support <coughs> international operations, but it was primarily metal manufacturing and uh, large plastic components. So you went from military right. 
right to management right right absolutely um so i had stepped in as a uh what was that area supervisor and then a business unit manager and then from there transitioned to east tennessee and this was uh, all executive management multi-site two well, how long are we talking people. here time-wise from the time we left military to where we're i mean is it yes yeah, so a year in, 10 months no so four years after i had actually left um i was uh, managing a multi-site uh manufacturing operation gotcha so, yep but still that's somebody else's company now this one's yours yeah 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 so, so like what, what's been the biggest uh, I guess, thing that caught you off guard about when you started this, that's something you weren't prepared for, you didn't think about. Is there anything that that, that happened that was like, oh my gosh, you know, clients are weird, you yeah. know? <laughs> no. Yeah, it, um, yeah, so managing and owning, operating your own business, uh, to me, it's just incredibly rewarding uh, from the <laughs> sense that uh, anything and everything I do impacts the bottom line, and, and I'm great with that. Uh, particularly with the decision-making asset allocation, you know, heard a previous conversation, you know, what are we going to amortize? What are we going to write off? Right. right? So I really enjoy yeah. being able to have a uh, total influence over that. Um, but yeah, so the, it, it is different. Uh, any particular shocks that I've had so far, I would say no. Right. Um, you know, I, I follow a guy uh, and read a lot of his writing, and he said, hustle so much until your side hustle becomes your primary hustle. <laughs> and, um, and, and and for me, it's just been, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do. And, you know, the the grind is awesome. I, I absolutely love it. You know, and uh, for me, it's so much more rewarding. You know, instead of getting up at 4 o'clock every morning, being in a factory at 5, you know, as an executive leader, uh, but leading by example, being on the floor for two hours before your first morning meeting when every other manager is rolling in. Right. Um, you know, that, that constant going in when it's still dark, leaving the plant when it's still dark, um, working on the weekends just to get caught up with your normal work. Uh, that, after so many years of doing it, it just kind of um, really made even more clear to me that everything that I'm doing needs to be, you know, for my own good, yep. uh, particularly for my own employment. And, um, yeah, so Decisive Aim has been a tremendous outlet for that. Now, what is, um, uh, right now, what is your primary business right, right now? So Decisive Aim offers two specific business uh, offerings here. So we have our services side and then we have our training side. So uh, as an example, on the training side, we offer um, carry concealed weapons uh, courses. We gotcha. offer defensive handgun courses, uh, defensive rifle courses, and then we offer a uh, medical and a low light scenario based uh, course. Uh, now on the services side, we provide um, your personal property in home, out of home uh, preparedness uh, assessment. Okay. Uh, so, as an example, on the services side, um, for the in-home services, uh, we'll come onto your property. You won't know it. Uh, we will make an aerial um, assessment of the property, primary entry points, egress points, uh, and then obviously with the homeowner, we uh, we go inside the house and we identify, hey, do you have a safe space uh, in the event someone breaks into your home? Where are you going? How are you responding? Do you have a multi-layer contingency plan for external communication? <laughs> I'm going to uh, say no for most people. Right, right for, for yeah. most people. So that's a, that's a, typically about a 12-hour assessment. We roll that up in anywhere between a 15 to 20, 30-page report uh, for the homeowner. And this is all uh, recommendation-based, and we have mm -hmm. a... 
uh, primary, secondary, and kind of a tertiary uh, recommendations. And then Plan we, A, B, and C. Yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. then we always like to layer that and associate it with time and cost. So, well, you know, if I make a recommendation for, hey, um, your bedroom door is your uh, barricade point uh, uh, into your safe space, that probably shouldn't be a single ply door. You may want to invest in a heavier door as an example. So I'll, I'll provide recommendations such as that. Now, are you guys in the in the in the the space yet where you can come in and you can take care of those things for the people, or you have uh, contacts that you refer to them? Or? Yeah, we we have contacts that we refer, and mm -hmm. um, you know, because we have a particular client who's asked, okay, you've made these recommendations. Who exactly should I turn to? Um, we do have some very soft uh, recommendations as far as the labor and the folks who take care of that. But for the majority of the recommendations, what I'm finding, or at least what's trending is, you know, I, uh, I can drop everything into a particular shopping cart, right? And then send that over to the client gotcha. and say, hey, if you're wanting to fill the immediate need associated with a, you know, within 72 hours, you need to take care of these uh, high urgent uh, topics. You know, here's everything already dropped in a cart, simply log in and go. Nice. Um, for the most part, everything that uh, we're offering is uh, associated with uh, discounts, uh, whether we're an affiliation or a, a distributor for, um, you know, it all typically comes with a, a discount. So what are you seeing? I mean, you've obviously been through quite a few homes now. Right. Um, so we, we have uh, Joe Lunchbox and, right. and, and Judy Lunchbox, and, and they, they live in their $100,000, $125,000 house. What? What is like the first thing or the most apparent danger that they have or, or exposure that they have to risk? Right. So folks aren't locking their doors. So I hate that. Is that still be, a thing? Yeah, it's still a thing. And I hate for that to be something that's like, so, okay, this is so simple. I don't need a home assessment preparedness person to come in and tell me that. Lock my door. I know that. Um, but what I will kind of give an overarching umbrella comment is too, is everyone can benefit from having external eyes come in that you trust, of course, sure. and just say, hey, how would you break into my home? How would you take mm -hmm. my property? And if someone really knows what they're doing, they're gonna be able to do that without you even knowing they're there. They're pros. Uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, my top three things that I'm seeing right now is uh, folks still aren't uh, um, protecting their homes by doing some of the basic things. As an example, locking your front door. Uh, there seems to be this over uh, kind of complacency, if that is such a thing, over complacency, um, <laughs> uh, complacent behavior in nature of, hey, everything's going to be fine. Uh, you know, I can I can call 911. I can do this in the event that something goes on. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to rely on these social services. So that's a, a failure point, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third is a underdeveloped or undeveloped. Um, community. And when I say community, those are the folks that uh, in the event that something happens, you've already been communicating with, you have a training plan with, they're going to respond to an emergency for you and you would do the same for them. Um, that just seems to be kind of non-existent. And what's kind of crazy is when you think about it in that term of community, uh, the example that I just gave, um, that is exactly how our society operated 50 years ago. You know, so it didn't have you the know, problems we, that we, we have today. And we take these massive social kind of steps back mm -hmm. where we think we're being more progressive in the sense that this individual liberty, but what we're actually doing is undermining the ability mm -hmm. of that individual to preserve their own liberty. 
you don't rely on others for that. You have this sense of self-worth through your own self-ability. Yep. To and responsibility. That. Sure. Absolutely. Especially as a, um, you know, like a family. Uh, one particular client, there's uh, multiple young children in the home. And okay, in the event that Joe, you're gone and Susie, you're here. Where are you taking the kids to in the event that somebody walks through that door or window that should not be in your home? Evildoer. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's just yep. amazing that... To me, that's, hey, I'm a parent. I have an inherent uh, responsibility to defend my family. And uh, that really seems to be kind of an underdeveloped, um, you know, a sense um, and even focus for, for the majority of the families. Um, I will comment that three of the basic things that I tell folks all the time, um, particularly because we operate in a 90% state of unawareness. Uh, when you get to your vehicle, as you approach your vehicle, let's give the Walmart example mm -hmm. again, right? So as you're walking up to your vehicle, it is not cliche. It does not look silly. Look inside of your vehicle first. Make sure you understand what's on the other side of the vehicle. Uh, break up that uh, human life pattern, right? So instead of walking directly up to the driver door, walk all the way around, you know, so mm -hmm. from the right side over to the uh, left on the driver door. Uh, and as you peer inside, just make sure that nothing's been moved and certainly that no one's in there. But the key is, as soon as you get into your vehicle, you're not checking your phone, you're not buckling up, you're not kind of adjusting your mirrors, you're not doing anything, you're locking that door. That is sure. the single best thing you can do. Uh, and it's amazing to me how many people just like, oh, I don't do that. I, I don't ever lock my door. And I assume when I put it in to drive, it'll automatically lock. Maybe, maybe not, but at that point, it's already too late. Um, one of the other unique examples that I had come up this week, we had a uh, client um, in a conversation say, uh, hey, I'm going to go, you know, get my oil change in my car. And I said, hey, that's great. Just out of curiosity, um, when you drop your keys off, give me a call. So he was like, okay, that's weird, but sure. So <laughs> he gave me a call and I said, okay, so you've dropped your vehicle off, right? Right. You've turned in your keys, right? So they can move your vehicle and do everything that they need to. Right. Did you give the whole key set? Well, sure, I always do. And I'm like, now, why did you do that? And he's like, oh, it's the whole key set. And I'm like, so you've just given them access to every other vehicle that you have. You've given them access and the House. opportunity yep. to make copies of the keys. And you've given them access not only to your specific address, because you've already given that before, but now they understand exactly where you're going to be. Right. Right. So um, so that was kind of an interesting uh, topic that came up this week on this whole uh, preparedness. Um, what are some of those mindsets that we can enter into heightened state of awareness? So that's a great example there. Awesome. Now, you mentioned, you know, we talked about how we used to take care of each other. Mm. And that's the one thing that I think is been, again, put my tinfoil hat on, go run okay. across the yard, you know, screaming and yelling. Right. But, you know, the, those that aren't constitutionalists or that uh, hate the Constitution mm. and the founding, they've been super successful at playing this long game, you know, starting in education. Right. And, you know, and, and just little little chinks in the armor. Sure. Incrementalism. Right. You know, death by a thousand cuts. Right. For Whatever sure. you want to call it. Right. You know, and they've been incrementally moving forward. Well, this, I think the, the Corona garbage was the last ultimate trump card. Sure. In the fact that it, it, it finally gave them the legal right in their minds to segment us. Right. To keep us apart. Right. Because our strength, our strength when we were founded. Right. Is our unity. Our community, right. how we're together, look out for each other. Right. And all of us together are better than one of us, you know, apart. Right. Um, so that, that is a, a great point that all of us, you know, we all have do have people in our lives. Again, I think that circle of influence has gotten smaller over the last year for sure. Um, but we all have those people we can call. 
Right. Only one or two. There's not many anymore. But it is good, I think, and you would you would agree that you know having contingency plans. Plan what's plan B? Right. Something happens to you. How are you going to get a hold of me? Something's happened to me. How am I going to get a hold of you? What are we going to do if you do get a hold of me? Right. Are you going to just sit on the phone while you die, or what's going to happen? Right. So it's a unique time, and I think there's been no better time, at least in my life, for a service like yours to be developed for sure. sure. So it's going to be huge fun to see how this thing thing grows. Right now, I want to hop onto the handgun training and, right. and, and carry concealed training real quick with you a little bit. Who should get their CCW? Everyone. Why everyone. is that? Everyone. So. All right, so everyone should have their CCW. And for me, I'll answer that in two specific uh, directions, or at least uh, from positions of authority here. Um, so the first being that it's everyone's inherent right to defend themselves, period. Uh, secondly, we, well, I guess part B of that, uh, everyone has a right to defend themselves. Everyone should have the opportunity also to defend themselves. So that should be a guaranteed right. Everyone should be invested in their own self-preservation. Now, so wait a minute. You mean the Second Amendment wasn't created for hunting? <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, the Second Amendment was established in order to defend against tyranny. And a government standing alone that is no longer of the people or for the people will try to manipulate the people. And one of the best safeguards you can possibly have is a uh, community or a individual or commonly referred to as a patriot who mm -hmm. has the ability and the willingness to defend themselves. So everyone should have a carry concealed weapon. Everyone should have a carry concealed permit. Um, with that, you have a higher standard of care, obviously having this uh, concealed weapon, and the training and the mental alertness and attitude, uh, along with a well-developed skill set is not only uh, important, but it's a demonstration of responsibility, the individual's responsibility to defend themselves. Um, and then the other element of why should everyone have a carry concealed uh, weapon, you see statistically a lower um, crime rate, uh, you see a lower um, ability of others seeking to do harm to others when you have a high concentrated area or at mm -hmm. least a uh, visually demonstrated area of those who are going to carry weapons. As an example, um, you know, the, I provided training Saturday. Uh, this is Monday already. It's crazy. Uh, uh, all day Saturday to a church in Bellevue who has said, you know what, we want to have a uh, presence here during our services and folks who are very specifically trained. So I provided CCW class as well as um, a de-escalation kind of um, process introduced to their particular organization. Go that great together. Need. Absolutely, mm -hmm. it does. Um, but uh, back to the statistic, you know, you remove the stickers off those premises that say, do not, you know, carry a firearm here. Uh, you're going to be less likely to uh, encroach on that space and certainly carry a weapon into that space knowing that there may be others there. Um, so again, inherent responsibility, inherent right of the individual, it makes us more responsible by having this specific training, that firearm on your person, but also it does something for sure to uh, increase the safety of those in that particular space. Sure. Now, what, 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 what would you say to the person that says, um, I'm never gonna carry a gun? Are they still a CCW class participant? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the reason I say this is um, we, uh, 
several examples here. We may say, hey, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do this. Your example, I am never going to carry a gun. It doesn't mean that you will never be faced uh, with a situation where you have to pick exactly. up that handgun. You have to pick up that rifle to defend yourself or defend those, those uh, others around you. Uh, so having a basic understanding, having a baseline of knowledge, attitude, and skill set to be able to safely operate and use this weapon system uh, that that is incredibly important whether or not you choose to carry a firearm all the time it's almost even a separate conversation right. but it is uh, an inherent responsibility to be able to have that skill set to defend yourself and others in the event that that happens and I can promise you I've seen more times than not folks that uh, will kind of throw out those I will never I will never I will never when until you're faced in that situation and it looking back at you, you can't say, I will never, right. I will never. Um, and particularly with this segment here, uh, the first time you pick up a firearm isn't when you need to defend yourself. You've already passed that point and, and it's going to go sideways. Yeah, it, it, it got real already. Right. Now, what would, you know, there's been the creation here of the last year or two of online sure. CCW classes. I don't want to throw nobody under the bus, but I want to, I'd like your <laughs> I'd like to have your opinion on sure. that. Yeah, to me it uh, all right. So eighty per, get back to the statistics. Eighty percent of us learn through visual learning, uh, the kinesthetic element. So I see, I do, I feel right. Um, to me, I think that you're getting less of a benefit, less of a training experience, less of a introduction. If this is, you know, me uh, simply providing a recording, you watch it, you go through those steps, those processes, um, you're, you're going to have less of an experience, particularly with regard to, to firearms. Um, I have found that the best way to train, the best way to learn is actually to be there to be able to handle and manipulate that weapon system and receive that instant feedback. Yep. So in a CCW virtual class, it's very difficult to have that instant feedback to where you can have behavior corrections and or modifications if it's a record or if I'm simply watching you know, my class here and my students kind of, hey, repeat after me, do this. Um, you're really not going to get that full benefit of... Um, Here's the gravity of the situation. You're going to have a firearm in your person. Here's how you pull from a concealed position. Here's how you maintain your trigger finger. Those are very difficult things to go through in a virtual environment. Statistically. All right. I mean, again, I've heard tons of CCW for years and years and years. I've heard tons of, you know, uh, people that don't necessarily oppose it, just makes them uncomfortable. Okay. How many CCW carriers shoot people? Yeah, so statistically, it's like it's it may be even less than the China virus uh, death rate. So I think it's like point zero 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 one three or four digits after the decimal point You're on right. the right side. Uh, it's very very low. And typically, what we see with uh, CCW permit holders, if you group them into a how many lethal engagements occur with those that actually have a CCW. It is a fraction of those that do not have a CCW, those that maybe even have possessed the firearm illegally. Um, so it's a very, very, very low right. Uh, rate. But what a and that's it, a great point. But what I always share with everyone is, you are the best controller of whether or not you're going to be in a lethal engagement. You control that. You mm -hmm. control that by many ways. One, checking our ego. 
avoiding dangerous places, avoiding dangerous people, avoiding dangerous situations where you may perceive a quick escalation, whether it be in the environment or those, again, other people that you're around, but we control that variable better than anyone else. Sure, sure. Um, so if we are a CCW uh, permit holder and we carry all the time, we are the ones that really control that statistical probability whether or not we'll actually be in a lethal engagement. Sure. Now, I want to take this back to the business aspect. All right. You know, how many businesses, you know, we've seen, we've heard, seen active shooter right. type stuff. We've seen the postal workers. That's always the sad joke that we talk right. about. Somebody's going to go postal. Postal, right. What can, or does your on-site service, I mean, do you also go into businesses and do that same type of preparedness um, or risk assessment for them as well? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We've provided several risk assessments and we provide non-lethal recommendations. Uh, our uh, active shooter training uh, program is still in development. We'll actually be partnering with another organization who's already have uh, the structure, the process, the procedures in place. So we'll simply augment that organization once we get all the terms and conditions worked out. Uh, but it will be a services provided uh, by decisive aim. And we see that as a growing segment of focus. Uh, one of the reasons I'd left my prior organization is I said, hey, look, this is a need. This is a need. We have inherent responsibility as management staff to defend those around us. And it was really just kind of laughed at. Um, and, you know, really understanding that uh, particular uh, footprint of that space, it's really sad because there are a tremendous amount of entry points. Um, but moving on uh, beside that, it, it, it really is a... Uh, service that I see growing uh, very rapidly. Um, and also, you know, uh, one of the other reasons why it's going to grow rapidly is there's uh, tax incentives, there's insurance premium reduction potential. Sure. Um, you know, and we see all these kind of positive things that, hey, go do this just to reduce your risk. So I see that as a uh, growing segment within our services. I understand. Um, what's your thoughts of employees having concealed carries and actively carrying um, in your business? Right, so there are risk mitigation uh, elements of uh, really anything we do to uh, lower the, the chance of an active shooter scenario um, and in this risk mitigation. I think what's important to understand is what kind of policy procedure can be developed. So if we're using the example of an organization who uh, has employees who are the designated CCW uh, participants within mm -hmm. a particular process. Why don't, you, why don't you explain that, what you just said, designated? All right. I want to so, understand that. Yeah, so a uh, designated uh, CCW permit holder and some of the organizations that we're involved with, um, there are those who are identified by a very small segment of the management team. Uh, who then have a, a particular skill set. Maybe they already have their CCW. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time I've seen these are all guys that uh, were uh, former military, had a tremendous amount of weapons training, and then the organization then pays for some advanced training, either send them to six-hour academy or maybe even something local. Uh, but those that are designated to carry the CCW, know their counterparts, peers, cohorts, understand or or know rather that they are carrying. Understand. Um, and, and, and you do that to eliminate the potential risk of hassle right and mm. you know uh, folks that hey you know chris you're the guy carrying the the, the gun today you know uh, so you you really wanted to eliminate those that um you know may be acutely even aware of those that are designated and those that are designated they have a specific policy and procedure uh that is uh, mandated by the organization that you rehearse um in order to to respond to uh to a threat um 
Now, organizations who do have those particular policies, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's uh, responsible of sure. uh, those organizations. And again, there are tremendous training opportunities uh, for organizations like Decisive Aim uh, to come in and provide assessments, awareness, um, reduce risk, um, you know, through policy and procedure training. Um, and then again, there's there's the uh, financial benefits of a potential lower risk uh, or lower premiums. Um, but again, I think if we're all inherently wanting to do the right thing, you know, as an employer, uh, as any organization, it's important to uh, to provide you know protection for those that, that walk through our doors every day. Well. The thing too is, I mean, you figure the situation we put them in. I mean, we're locking, we're, sure. we're making them fish in a barrel, so to speak. Right. You know, we're locking them into a into a certain environment, and usually, if they're focused on doing their job, especially in the manufacturing industry, they're focused right. on running machine, whatever. Right. I mean, it could be over before they even knew it happened. Right. Uh, and then I can definitely see not uh, not having everybody know because right. you know there's people out there who would say he's got the gun right right absolutely <laughs> over there that guy yep. he's got yep. the gun yeah <laughs> for yeah. sure yeah, absolutely yeah and 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 for me I think that the organizations that focus on their culture those that truly focus on their their values and what they're about at some point your value alignment comes into, hey, I appreciate those that I employ or those that are around me. And the best way to show that you have an appreciation for someone else is being willing to defend them. And having, again, as an employer, uh, the um, policy and procedure in place for those, again, designated or otherwise that are, you know, are going to carry a firearm in order to uh, prevent or at least appropriately and rapidly respond to a threat. Sure. So, What's next for Decisive Aim? I mean, we're we're still relatively young in the business cycle right. yet. We're still, you know, laying that foundational, you know, getting our first initial set of clients, right? Um, building that structure. I mean, do you have have you built your team yet? I mean, are, are we working on marketing and scaling? Where are we at in that structure? Yeah, that so uh, really all of the above. Um, so to answer more specifically, we do have designated personnel that we're putting through a training pipeline now that are going to... You're training them or are you having yeah, a third that, party? No, we are training them. Understand. Uh, that are going to be able to represent the business, execute our sp uh, particular curriculum, and those that are going to, um, you know, well represent the organization, what it is about. Uh, so we have folks that are in that development uh, uh, training and pipeline there uh, to represent us in Tennessee and Utah, uh, as well as Ohio. Those really are the areas that uh, we're having a strong gravitation towards. Uh, the growth that I see for Decisive Aim uh, is really going to be more so on the services side. I believe mm -hmm. that the active shooter responds uh, training, uh, the de-escalation of um, threats uh, through churches even uh, sure. it seems to really be taking off. And then the preparedness service branch of what we provide in-home assessment, out-of-home assessment, personal protection of the family, uh, emergency response, um, food storage preparations. Um, you know, I have several clients that uh, we work with every day that say, okay, I want to start with uh, body armor. I want to be able to have three months of provisions for my family. And in the event that I have to leave my home, I want you to help me develop where my, you know, plan B location is going to be. So that's the segment I see growing even more. And then the community aspect of uh, our business and, and what we provide uh, community in the sense of, hey, identify who your community is, have your contingency plans. And you spoke about uh, mm -hmm. the telecommunication, you know, what is the primary alternate contingency in emergency Sure. Uh, in the event that all the power and the infrastructure is completely cut? Um, how do I get to you? 
Uh, so I see that being a huge element of our uh, services side growth. Now, how are you marketing now? How are you getting new clients in the door? Yeah, so what we've seen as far as uh, client attainment is those that we're bringing into the training through the 101. So this is through the courses, defensive handgun, rifle, CCW. Uh, we are getting about one uh, to five turns. So for every one client we bring in on the training side, we're getting five inquiries of uh, services and or training. Um, so really, it's just so been, referrals. Yeah, referrals <laughs> is really how the the uh, the clientele uh, has continued to grow. Is just through referrals. Uh, those that are really, hey, I've enjoyed this. Hey, this has been good. Or hey, I have no idea what I'm doing, but this guy does. Um, so that's that's been a huge huge element. You know, we do have our socials that we're you know utilizing mm -hmm. to get content out, um, but really the very strongly it's just been referrals. Yeah. Got you. Now, how did you you know? I guess the number one complaint about of about every employer that we talk to is employees. Sure. Or partners. Right. You know, here here their partners or team members. We we don't have employees here. Okay. Um, but how do you what is your methodology to finding somebody or how do you find and, and know that you've got the right person yeah that's that's really a fantastic question so uh, to me it's all based on trust you know who can you build a relationship with who have you developed a rapport with that that you trust in our particular business it's very easy to define those that uh um, or identify rather those that you trust and you know we're identifying them uh, three specific criteria um, do they have the knowledge skills and the attitude necessary to represent the business and also execute what the business is about preservation of life sure um, so to me it uh, when you you look at employees or partners or um, you know one of the terms I used for many years is the value adders Right. So sure. um, I, I always like to use that because those that uh, truly do put their hands on the product, they're adding value to the product as a management or an executive. I never added value to the product. That was simply overhead. Right. Um, so <laughs> right. it's, I, I think, just in part of like checking our ego as well. But uh, yeah, to answer you directly, it's, you know, developing trust and uh, working alongside someone and, um, you know, building that relationship. So, well, you said that you have uh, some potential team members that are coming right. on there in training right now. Right. So you, what you're telling me is, is they didn't know everything when they came in the door. No, no. So you hired first and foremost on character. For sure. Morals. Right. Content yeah. of character, whatever you right. want to call it. Constitutional orientation was an element. Of yeah, I would so. imagine that would be in the job description for right. sure. Right. But either way, the point is, and I think this is where a lot of employers get hung up, is I need to hire, um, let's just say, marketing person. Sure. So they need to come in and they need to know every aspect of marketing. No. No. <laughs> no. They have to come in and they have to be the kind of person that fits in here, kind of right. person I want to be around, kind of person right. I want to enjoy, Sure. kind of person that I know I can build a long-term relationship with. That's more important. And the kind of person that I know I can allow with a client and I would never, ever have to worry about my reputation. Right. 100%. Number one quality, don't care about anything else. Right. So everything else can be taught. Absolutely. Now that is the ideal, right? That mm -hmm. is the ideal policy and practice and procedures. Mm -hmm. That is not what is happening no. as a whole. No. And this is why we see we have temp. We're, we're do, we do temp. I, I know. So the <laughs> labor market, as it's currently represented in our area here, eighty percent of all laborers are actually coming from temporary organizations. Now, just take a moment there and let that sink in. What does that mean for the laborer walking into an organization in Bellevue? I'm out. 
I'm out. Two weeks, I'm out. I'm out. Month, I'm and out. I'm not valued. I'm never going to be part of the culture. Mm-hmm. I'll never be afforded the opportunity to assimilate into the culture. And and quite frankly, I'm simply a, uh, I'm just a number on You're a desk. Sheet, right? You're a chair. Right. You're the machine in the corner. Yeah. And, and when we start to look at retention rates and the turn, right? So it is a evil cyclical process of this constant evolving door. And this is even creeping into a management, mid-level management, because when you do not value the person and you hire the person, then... The particular need for the business. I mean, you'll have this constant turn all the time. But what you described previously, mm-hmm. you know, focusing on the character, the content, uh, focusing on the person first, and then, you know, the cultural yep. assimilation. Right. That's that. That's absolutely the appropriate way to do it. And you'll see longevity through that for sure. But uh, it's just like with if you own rental property. You know, we, you sure. know, again, everybody has has had rental property learned the hard way that you right. know, you're better off to let it sit empty. Right. And to put the wrong person in. Right. I feel the same way in the employee or team member space. For sure. You're better off to have to buckle down and kick ass yourself right. than put the wrong person in, into that position. Yeah. Now, again, I get the temps. That, I mean, there's work that needs to be done. There's a lot of industries that require they need hands on deck and right. they can't necessarily find, go through that long, the long game process of bringing in the right person. So I get why sure. it is the way it is. Sure. But I just know that that's uh, building a house on a shaky foundation yeah. at that point, for sure. Yeah, that, I mean, that really should be your short-term strategy, right? I mean, this is filling an immediate need, but we rely on our upfront process and procedure to where we fully validate and go through uh, the appropriate cultural hire of an organization. You know, temporary labor, absolutely get that. But if we're truly committed uh, uh, to people and our product and our processes, maybe even in that order, um, you know, you, you, you do commit on the upfront uh, initial efforts, cost, again, relying on your procedures to hire that right person for the role. Um, and, and that just seems to have almost kind of flipped. You know, I would say even in my experience in the last five years, um, particularly with the organization um, in Bellevue, it, it was about, hey, I have a temporary need. And now this becomes a long-term strategy because I'm not concerned with the culture. Well, that's why you have 68% turnover. Exactly right. And I, you got to think at some point, don't you do the math on how how yeah. how much it costs to go from yeah. zero to somewhat trained to back to zero to somewhat trained to back to zero? The, the the statistic I heard, this was towards the end of last year, I was talking to a client. He said on average in his business, it takes 6.8 workers okay. to ultimately get one. Okay. So he has to go through 6.8 times statistically. And I don't know what point eight of a person is, right, but I'm right. just saying 6.8 was his number to get one to stick. Sure. What is the cost of going through 6.8? Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah the, the cost of talent acquisition, uh, when you look at it from a variable uh, standpoint of just strictly labor hours, so for labor, temporary labor, to the uh, cost of talent acquisition, if you hire through a fully validated process, commit to that process, commit to people first, um, it's going to be exponentially uh, more advantageous, you know, to go through, hey, up front, we're committing to you as a person instead of just, you know, hey, whatever staffing agency, I need 12. You know, that sure. uh, is going to, you know, just to be, again, an evil cyclical process that you'll never get out of until you commit Spinning to Spinning wheel of death. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and costs, right? So cost, cost, cost. But um, I, I think just the best comment is, you know, what are you truly about as an organization? Are you about people? Or are you about the end result? Sure. 
the end result is always going to be better, right? Uh, even from a financial standpoint, for sure. If you're looking at, hey, I'm going to invest in my people because the quality of my process, the quality of my product, and ultimately the gross margin is going to be impacted by my commitment to people. No, there's no question. Now, you said just a few minutes ago when we were talking about um, some of the active shooter stuff that you actually had, you were partnering with somebody. Right. And I think this is going to be the secret sauce for most of us small business owners. You know, we're, sure. you know, as small business owners, we're, we're in a situation where we do it all ourselves. Right. You know, right. I, you know, I'm cook, bottle washer, you know, right. order taker. I do my own taxes. I do everything myself. Right. I think the future where most of us are having a tough time bringing in those key team members. Right. I think we're going to see in our space a, a blow up. I think it's already starting to happen of partnerships, strategic partnerships with other right. small like-minded business owners like ourselves that know that, hey, I, I can't do it, I can't find somebody, it's not my wheelhouse to find this person, but I know a guy, and he's just like me, sure believes like me, works as hard as I do, and I know he can fill that space. right Now again, it may be a little more expensive when I look at the check that I have to write every month to have him do it, sure. but ultimately, you know, I'll be better off for right. doing it. So yeah. I, I think when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, you're on the right path there. Yeah. I mean, is there any other strategic partnerships that you can feel where, you know, things that you're going to need as you scale this business and make it bigger? Yeah, absolutely. So we talk about the services side and we talk about uh, preparedness and, you know, the element of egress and getting out of Dodge, if you will, or leaving your primary stronghold um because of multiple factors, but you have to leave with your family. How are you going to do that safely? So um, that is something that is just like stuck with me. You know, what am I advertising? What am I selling? What am I about? What is a strategy that is tried and tested and that I feel even good ethically to, to offer up as, hey, you need to develop this process, uh, you know, within your family unit and, mm -hmm. and here's what it looks like. So uh, from the preparedness services side, we have partnered with uh, Plan B Trucks. So Plan B Trucks, if you haven't uh, heard of them, check them out. They're in Utah, veteran-owned organization, fantastic people, uh, very much like-minded constitutionalists, and uh, they're just great human beings. Uh, so they offer uh, up-armored and non-up-armored uh, vehicles uh, for sale. These are decommissioned military vehicles. So if you got to leave... Yeah, so they're you building have to you leave, something to they they are. Yeah. So um so in our uh preparedness services side, we're aligning with them and, and we're working through a uh, particular um dealer partnership Understand. Uh, and affiliation. Very cool. Uh and then we're also working with a few other uh organizations, again, all small businesses, all those mm -hmm. that are trying to fill a need, they see a segment, they want to enter in that segment. Um, ranging from uh, medical supplies, you know, we're working through partnerships there. Uh, we're working with a really cool organization called Crate Tactical. So mm -hmm. steel targets have been like an exploding element within the sure. firearm industry. And Crate Tactical, veteran-owned, great people, uh, they are filling that need. They see the segment. They like the segment. Where are they located at? Uh, they're actually located just north of Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you can look them up, Crate with a K. Tactical. We'll make sure in the description of this video yeah. we'll post it. We'll put all everybody's contacts in. Yeah, 
and uh, so we're and I do appreciate that we yep. are a dealer for them so Metal mm-hmm. Target needs any and everything that you need uh, including the hanging devices we sell those directly oh, nice. um, so we do represent that organization and um, but but again just a, a smaller organization and you know they're wanting to grow their network their distribution so this is how we fill that need and and we love their product and we love using it at decisive aim because there's nothing like that quick audio feedback when you Dang. hit a steel target yeah. exactly <laughs> uh you know and it's safe product in lieu yep. of just taking a piece of carbon steel and shooting at it you're going to get some ricochet right yep um yeah, so that's that's a fantastic uh, point that you bring up, and I really yep. do like that. So we're we're partnering with several folks just around. We're actually uh, working through uh, an opportunity now with a guy actually at Norwalk, um, who wants to take all the decisive aims brass reload, and then we we sell and or buy this product. So we're all about understanding cool. our niche, uh, understanding where we fall within the segment, and then working with others around us. Yeah, there's a, a business consultant out there that I've watched for, uh, watched, read everything that comes out. His name is Dan Sullivan. His okay. business is called Strategic Coach. And his most recent book that he uh, uh, spit out was called Who, Not How. Okay. And it was all aimed at us, you know, supposedly independent business owners that have to do everything. And that limits, puts that glass ceiling on what we're, you know, the number of people we can help. Sure. The impact we can make is all limited based on our own capacity right but all of a sudden if every little piece i can find a who right. and not try to figure out how all of a sudden i can eliminate that glass ceiling and scalability then goes off the charts absolutely at that time. yeah and doesn't don't you feel like that actually makes you a more well-rounded uh, offerer of services mm-hmm. and uh, being able to provide different things to your clients and um, no that's that's a fantastic point one of the things that uh, decisive aim is really about is we had identify and further refine who we are as an organization. Um, One of the things that we support is Mission 22, so Veteran Awareness, Suicide, and Prevention. That is just something that is absolutely Mm -hmm. huge uh, on on our hearts every day. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, to me, that is the national pandemic, 22 veterans taking their lives every day. So along the way, as we're providing these different services and we're exercising our networks, if we come into contact or we have someone that's like, hey, you know, I'm here in your class, but, you know, during the next break, I want to talk to you about my son, right? And this is very real. And I had a lady come up and said, I'm really worried about my son, two tours in Afghanistan, one in Iraq, and, you know, we have firearms in the home, and I'm really, really concerned. We're able to connect with those folks, be able to provide services and connect them with other organizations such as Mission 22 and say, hey, look, I know you're hurting right now and and you're in a lot of pain, but, you know, let's take a look at this organization together. And uh, so that's what I love being able to provide. And and again, getting back to this kind of small business owner, I mean, you have the latitude to go and do that. I can't advocate inside of a four wall factory nope. as a ops Nobody manager, cares. right? Or even plant manager. No one cares. I'm here to do a job in order to get an end result. Our end result is the preservation of life, right? right. And a part of that is, you know, being able to advocate for, you know, veteran suicide awareness and prevention. Well, I want to start wrapping up. I have a couple right. questions that I want to get. To. I yeah. think I think this will be fun. I'm going to enjoy this. Thing. I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this. All right. So I'm going to ask this. This question is going to have a couple questions that attach you. I'm going to ask the first one first. Um, how has the corona affected you? Yeah. So the corona has affected me um, by further convicting me in my core values, my independence, my um, 
reservation and hesitation to simply accept at face value anything that is published, anything that is said. Um, coronavirus has affected me uh, and my family um, in a sense that uh, there is nothing more important than that family unit, my family unit, and my ability to support and defend uh, that family unit um, has never been more uh, on the forefront of what we're about and what we are uh, doing as a family. Um, so I would say that it has actually done the opposite of what the coronavirus was designed to do, mm-hmm. and it is further aligning my family. It is unifying us and who we are and our faith and how we operate as a cohesive unit. Um, and it has also pushed us positively in the direction of you know, further growing uh, our community, this, this response community. Um, so I, I like to take the positives out of every negative, but mm-hmm. what the coronavirus was designed to do was to rely on centralized government and for central government to be able to, from a legal standpoint, take control over everything. Mm-hmm. It's had the opposite for me and my family. We are incredibly decentralized and we are totally focused on each other. So, man, it sounds to me like you weren't scared <laughs> or it no. doesn't sound like you sat inside your house, just your family with your mask on. Yeah, no, no, we've not, we've not done that. That's not who we are. It's not the American way. You know, we, uh, you know, we live in a country that is so blessed and is so rich in resources and its people um, that to simply fold, to simply accept again at face value what's being shoved down our throats is that's that's un-American, that's unpatriotic. You know, we're going to do what is necessary to defend our family and to support our family. And a part of that is, you know, being uh, aware enough to make well-informed decisions for ourselves mm-hmm. and not simply toe the line and, and do as, you know, we're being told. So Well, we're blessed in Ohio. Sure. We have yeah. a we have a, a multi-degree MD mm. as a governor. <laughs> you know, somebody sure. that has medical experience beyond, I mean, pretty much any surgeon on the planet. <laughs> so, right. virologist, right. I mean, this guy here has, you know, lived his life saving lives. Hmm. Does he know me? Does he know what's best for my family? Right? Right. Yeah, it, it, and I see where you're going with that for sure. So, you know, what I communicate to others in my family, my inner circle are, um, you know, there is guidance and guidance isn't always good or it's bad, right? Mm-hmm. You have to make that decision sure. for, for yourself. This is suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. It simply is a suggestion. And when it becomes to, or, or when it gets to the point to where it's actually infringing on my ability to provide for my family, protect my mm-hmm. family, that's when I think every American should just, even Ohioan, right? Just take a step back and say, okay, am I going to just accept uh, wholesale uh, this this feedback, this edict, right? So this magical 10 p.m. is the witching hour of which everyone needs to be back in their mm-hmm. homes. And, and, and for what purpose, right? I think that we would do ourselves a benefit as a nation if we start asking, what is the specific benefit benefit for me and, uh, and what is not? So what is it actually taking away from, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you'd brought up one point. I know you have a few more questions, but I do yeah. just want to touch no, on. No, go ahead. Uh, it, there is a specific reason why some of these uh, entities and locations are being taken away 
of us uh, Americans to be able to gather at. So, you know, your church and mm-hmm. your taverns, right? Just as this community. whole work, your community, and it's done mm-hmm. so, so that the government can be more centralized and they can take away this kind of discretionary decision-making mm-hmm. that we love as Americans and that we exercise in a more decentralized uh, type of community and organization. So when you start to remove the ability to assemble, share, communicate, provide resources, and exercise your communal rights, this this community that we've referred to, um, essentially what you're doing is you're removing the ability to gather, uh, to grow, to train, uh, to be able to come together and uh, really support one another. So it's the best way to um, divide a group of people is mm-hmm. to separate them. Yeah. The thing that's frustrating to me is that it seems so obvious. Yeah. You know what I mean? It seems like any commonsensical, just any average person would look at the overall situation, no matter their political affiliation or what their beliefs are, and say, you know what, something just doesn't smell right here. Right. Yeah. But, boy, the the time frame from when they said they wanted to start shutting stuff down to to compliance was like a second. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened, whatever happened if we had some other country's boots on our ground? Right. That's the part that really was, I, I mean, I kind of always, you know, as somebody that believes the way we always think it's probably bad like that. Right. This was demonstrated in live 3D cameras everywhere. Nobody's even hiding it. Right. This is what I believe. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So again, back to that cementing point of this is the perfect time to be in your, in your business. Now, whether you're just lucky, whether yeah. you're good, time's <laughs> gonna, time, time will tell us that. We're all going to get to watch and find out. Sure. But the time, I mean, it's masterful at this point that this is the business that, that you're in and the need out here has never been greater. Right. For sure. Now, so where do we go from here with Corona? What's 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 going to happen? What Put your prognosticator hat right. on. Right. <laughs> what, what happens going forward? Yeah. So I think uh, we're going to go in one of two directions. And when I say we, I, I am uh, speaking on a national level, I think as a society, as an American culture, I think we're going to go in one of two directions. We're going to be accepting. So option A, if you will, not a priority, but option A. Uh, I think we're going to become more um, conditioned to receiving, exercising, and complying with every single directive mm-hmm. that comes at a national level. And, and I think the, the cultural acceptance of that is, is going to grow. So there's one direction. Or we can all just take a, a nice little tactical pause and understand that if united, we are always stronger as mm-hmm. a whole than the sum of our parts, right? And I think that the country can go in a completely opposite direction direction to where we say, hey, you know what, we are going to make decisions that are best for our communities. We're going to make decisions that are best for our states, for our family units, and we're going to do so in the autonomy that is guaranteed and protected under the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, either A, compliance, submission, and direction B is, hey, we're going to uh, fall back onto some of our founding principles and we're going to really exercise those liberties. So to me, I think it's in one of two directions, through submission or through liberty. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, for sure. And then, I mean, the thing that kind of cements your point a little bit is that, you know, with all the writing that was going on with that whole nonsense, yeah. coincidentally at the same, it's kind of weird how that works. Yeah. It's coincidence. Yeah, you know, for sure. It's just a one-off. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, knocking down, you know, founding fathers. 
yeah. kind of change history. That's all part of the process. Yeah. That incremental long game that we keep that we've talked about already. Yeah. You're bringing it full circle. Yeah. The long game now has been is now down into a short compressed game. Yeah. You know they spent the last thirty years, and I say they, the people that you know mm -hmm. don't believe we live in a blessed country right. with blessed people right. from all races, all nationalities, all religious belief. What you know, it's just a great country. There, right. there is none other like it. Right. Never has been, never will be. That's correct. Yeah. Um, the there's people that don't believe that, and for some right. reason, you know, want want to do harm to it. Yeah. And it just seems like, man, they just. We've always known they've existed. There's been some that have been out in front of the you know the camera before. Right. There's no effort to hide now. Yeah. You can see that, I mean, if one thing that this last election did, it definitely freaked out the extremists so bad, they just pulled the veil back and yeah. are, are going to war over it. Yeah, there's there are fringe elements of our society on both sides, right? Yeah. So call far left, yep. far right. Um, and yeah, to your point, the election, particularly the this virus, mm -hmm. right, has designed virus has completely exposed both elements of the fringe, uh, you know, ends of the uh, society here. Um, we have been completely galvanized by the bastardization of the previous election. Yep. Um, and I think furthering your point, what that's done is really kind of put out on the forefront of what direction are we going? I mean, are we truly going to go and undo history, rewrite history, and are we going to take control of the past with a complete inability to do so by simply saying, hey, within context, here's how we think this really happened, right? right? <laughs> or are we going to learn from the past in order to never repeat it? And that is the one of the most beautiful elements of uh, the American society, this American kind of project and you know trial test that we've been doing for almost successfully for 250 years is you know we do evolve and progress seems to be a popular word but we do so uh, with an appreciation of the past not in light of the past or getting rid of the past but we grow and we evolve as society and a culture because of this appreciation you right. know whatever side of history we're on you know, I think the primary point is to learn from it in order to move forward. Um, you know, and you keep referring to this kind of chink, this armor getting, you know, one less rivet, one less rivet, right? So let's just take in context the history, right? So let's look at this Roman Empire that lasted for more than a millennium. Uh, it was so successful, but it crumbled so quickly because it decayed from the inside, inside. out. Yep. And to your point, I, I, I really do liken the uh, current state, our geopolitical, uh, to that historical context and the fact that we are rotting from the inside out. Yep, that's true. We, we have it so great, we just can't stand it. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> right? I uh, uh, One last note here. I, I was blessed with the opportunity to uh, witness and to bring fresh water to uh, people of Cuba in February. Uh, and I was on the last inbound flight into the United States before Atlanta Airport shut off in February. No yeah. kidding. But the um, appreciation that I have, one of the appreciations is the experience. You know, there were some uh, folks there on that mission that uh, – uh, were what I would say on the French left, right? And having seen the poverty, the governmental control, failed communism, failed socialism, failed social classes, um, having seen that firsthand, them, and now coming over and me staying in contact with them, it is amazing how far right these folks have ran in such a short <laughs> right. amount of time. And to your point, I think that some folks are just so unhappy with 
um, you know, a, a America, this, this uh, freedoms and these liberties that we have because they've never experienced anything else. And it's easy to become complacent and even judgmental of something that's always been right there in front of you. But if you're forced to defend it, or even if you just simply want to take a quick history lesson, you'll have a greater appreciation for what this government or probably this American experiment has been. Sure. I, I just keep telling myself every day that, you know, you we've watched examples even during our lives. And again, we've only got me 52 years. You mm -hmm. know, there, we have a, even that short section that freedom always wins. Right doesn't mean that there's going to be pain and it won't be pains you know suffering and torture right. all during that time but freedom always wins right. ultimately you can't give somebody freedom and then take it back right you can try right and it could get ugly yeah. but in the end freedom always wins for sure and that's that that's where i uh that's where i keep my hope at least yeah well i want to take a second and and give appreciation for what you're doing I mean, again, I like to break down from what you what what you're offering to what I think you really are offering. Okay, um, is that in this time where fear has been manufactured, everybody's scared. You know, people are unsure. You know, not sure about their job, or they had a restaurant or a bar. You know, small business right. owner out of business. Anyways, fear abounds. And what you guys provide is that you're giving people back control. You're allowing them to, to be in charge of their own outcome. You're giving them tools and abilities that they can use um, to protect, their, protect themselves, protect their families, provide for themselves, provide for their families. Um, there is no greater self-esteem builder than knowing that when the shit hits the fan, right. I got this. Sure. So you deserve a lot of credit. I'm really excited to watch your business grow. I appreciate um, that. And if yeah. I can be of help or service in any way, uh, trust me, we'll be tooting your horn. Sure. And, and we've already talked about a few collaborations on the phone already. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll make that happen. I have one last question. Sure. So Decisive Aim's out of business now. It's gone. All right. So you're gone. All your knowledge, you're not there for your family, for your community. Mm -hmm. What is a couple things that you've learned in your life so far? that if that's all you could could leave for them those are the one or two things that you would want them to know yeah so the first would be if you put your faith in people you'll always be disappointed always turn to christ uh, the second is um rely on those that you can trust define trust however you must but mm -hmm. rely on those that you can trust um, and then really surround yourself with people who are willing to give the full measure of their own life. And that is how you value a relationship. Right. Which is totally opposed to today's beliefs. For sure. You know, yeah. I'm supposed <laughs> to give my life for you, but you're too high and mighty or whatever. Sure. You don't get yeah. to do it that way. Yeah. Well, I have appreciated our time together greatly. We're going to make sure that decisive aim is totally uh, blown out on the social medias when cool. we're done with this. Yeah. Um, we'll give all your contact information. We'll put in the description of the video when it's posted. Um, so everybody, if you need to protect yourself, you want to learn how to take care of uh, the zombie apocalypse sure. if and when it happens, yeah. Um, yeah. Cliff D. Payne from Decisive Aim is the man to give a call. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank really you, my friend. It. Yeah, yep. thank you.